totally at the World Cup. Well, life, my friend, is full of various twists and turns. Unbelievable, unbelievable this. Day 18, one day before Harry Kane, it's Harry Kiri as Samurai Blue a two-goal lead against Belgium. Roberto Martinez sending Japan down to Pan in what was a thriller against the boys from the land of Godzilla. Also on Monday, Brazil beat Mexico 2-0. Brazil are on a roll, and so is Neymar if you look at him, while Mexico make like El Tree and Leaf. What's next? Tuesday sees the last two places in the quarterfinal decided as Sweden take on Switzerland and then Colombia take on England. El Tigre against three lions. Meow. It's totally at the World Cup. Meow indeed, listener. And after another rip-roaring night of World Cup action, it is totally at the World Cup. Today with Jack Lang. Evening. With Duncan Alexander. Hi, James. And with Harriet Drudge from 442. Hi. So we have Drudge and Jury, really, as we look back on uh, on two, well, one, well, half an exceptional game. And there were some other fine bits, but. That exceptional half was truly exceptional, wouldn't you say, Harriet? Absolutely. And by the way, I'm referring to the last half of the Japan-Belgium game. Okay, thanks for letting me know. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the first half wasn't anything to write home about. But have five goals in the second half it was just incredible. Um, and it's the first time that Japan have scored in a knockout match at the World Cup ever. So um, for them to score twice was something in itself. Yeah. And to be honest, it didn't look like Belgium were going to get back into it when it, when Japan scored the second. They looked kind of bereft of ideas. Well, yeah, Seb Stafford-Bloor uh, tweeting, I suspect a lot of Everton fans will be nodding in recognition uh, right now. But but they did come back, and Duncan, you have a stat about that. Yeah, I do, as usual, I guess. But um, before this game, no team had come from 2-0 down in a knockout match to win since West Germany against England way back in 1970 when England was struggling with the concepts of substitutions and heat as they still do in many ways. Um, so, yeah, it was pretty rare from from that uh, perspective. But just to back up what Harriet said, I mean, the first half was, was pretty grim. And Roberto Firmino had a higher XG in about eight minutes than both teams did combined in that first half. So. Right. It was extraordinary, though, because Japan had finished off their, their final group game with that ten minutes of anti-football came out of the blocks with some fairly lively stuff. And in the second half, well, we had uh, Ali Patel saying, who, who mentioned Tokyo Taka? It was you, Jack, wasn't it? And, it was. and that's what they were doing. Yeah, it was great. I really like this team. It's uh, work hard together, but there's also a little bit of flair there as well. Shinji Kago, I thought, had a great game, but all the midfielders did, really. Takashi Inui was good. And then the two guys I, I knew a little bit less about when the tournament started, which is uh, Shibasaki and Haraguchi. He scored the first goal. thought they were both really good. Did it all with speed panache and even when they were i guess supposedly trying to hold on at the end they weren't being defensive they you know it was a, a gung-ho bit of attacking that perhaps cost them in the end should they have been being defensive um, maybe they should have but right. i salute their intent because in the 94th minute this Courtois 
faire. Ça va être le but. Meunier pour Lukaku. Il va faire. Je l'ai dit, bordel. Je l'ai dit. Je l'ai dit. Harrier, what an extraordinary goal. Absolutely, and it all started from Courtois. Brilliant throw out when, uh, as in commentary, they said some keepers would have fallen on that just to get to extra time. Um, so yeah, throwing it out to De Bruyne, and we, we were speaking about this just as it, you know, just we were rewatching uh, the replays. Lukaku had so much to do with that goal without actually touching the ball at all. Um, his movement inside to out, and then um, the dummy is just incredible uh, for for Chadley to to knock it in to to win it in the 94th minute incredible i mean there was a bit of mockery when belgium brought on fellaini and chadley but then they came up with the goods so you know yeah a good so, duo to bring on so in fairness to martinez his substitutions proved bang on yeah like he did i mean even the first goal belgium's first goal the header from vertonghen um it's the longest range header ever recorded in a world cup <laughs> is that right and i imagine i don't know if anyone's measured this but the hang time was also pretty pretty good i mean everyone just sort of stopped and watched it reminded me of the finchy throwing the the shoe over the pub over the office <laughs> in the office it's just everyone just waiting until it landed and then it then it did did the Finch's shoe ever land? I'm not sure if that was ever resolved. No, they sent someone around the back. Yeah, and but she, it, and she, it's a loose end for me no, dramatically. No, she, she definitely confirmed just, it. Yeah. Really? Yeah. I felt that Tim never got his shoe back. I'm not sure whether he got his shoe I back. I don't think that he does. But but Belgium get their place in the quarterfinals where they're going to be taking on Brazil. What do you think about that, Jack? I think it'd be a great game. I think of the quarterfinal clashes, I think that's probably going to be the most exciting. I think Belgium quite clearly have the attacking tools when things click to trouble Brazil more than their opponents so far. I think Belgium are obviously suspect at the back and I can imagine there being a few goals in it. Okay. Although who knows in this craziest of World Cups. Tell you what, uh, if you didn't see the game and you're still a little bit confused as to what happened tonight between Belgium and Japan, we'll break it down a little bit more clearly after this. You're listening to The Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. So then, listener, Japan out of the World Cup. Perhaps only fair after that really shocking story about the psychic octopus. Harriet, did you see this? No, I didn't. So there was a psychic octopus called Rapio, actually. Rapio, the psychic octopus, that correctly predicted all three of Japan's results so far, which is pretty good going, given how surprising some of them have been. But the fishermen chopped him up and, and sold him <laughs> for food. One, as many people tweeted, that's one result he probably didn't see <laughs> coming. Quote here from the fisherman, I hope that the second Rabia will also give all the outcomes correctly and that Japan will go all the way. Well, no, that's not how it works. Well, interesting that they called the second one Rabia as well. Yeah. If it meant that much, maybe you shouldn't have killed it. Absolutely. Um, so, after the half-time, Harriet, what on earth happened? I think Japan noticed that uh, the wing-backs for Belgium just weren't really doing any defending and there was so much space for them to, to exploit uh, that they thought they'd go for it um, and which they'd been doing all match anyway they hadn't really been holding back as Jack said yeah they, they made the most of it and um, Haraguchi looked like he'd missed the opportunity with a, an awkward little shuffle but put it pretty much the only place that Courtois couldn't reach it uh, with a, an absolutely fantastic finish it took Belgium by surprise. Although Hazard then hit the post pretty much immediately, I think for them to get a second pretty quickly as well took them even more by surprise, obviously. And that, I think in the last... Just to say, that was a magnificent strike from Inouye, who's been the, one of the revelations of the tournament, no? He's really cool. He played a role in the first goal as well. I think it was him who initially 
nicked it off Belgium. And yeah, it's uh, the nice thing about that finish was he scored one against Senegal from a not dissimilar position, but it was kind of a little curler, uh, a little clipped effort. This one didn't have any curl at all. And it was just arrow straight after a nice bit of hold-up play by Kagawa. And Belgium were just at six and seven. So there's a massive gap between the defence and the field. Matt Scott, to be fair, the other night was saying precisely this about Belgium, that they have acres or a freeway, I think he put it, uh, on the flanks. Uh, this was before England failed to kind of do much with it on uh, the, in their final group game, but but they came back. They did. Um, I think uh, in every group game, Belgium scored within the first six minutes of the second half, and I think you know they may have been resting on their laurels a little bit there and taken by surprise the fact that Japan scored two in the first six minutes of the second half in this knockout game. Um, yeah, and they got themselves back in it. Did he mean it for Tongan with that looping header? I, I'm not sure. What do you guys think? I mean, So he's, he's way out to the left-hand side of the goal. And it's, it's, yeah, it's a looping header. It doesn't look like he's it particularly... It looks like he's just thought, I'll just stick it back in the box and see what happens. But um, the goalkeeper didn't cover himself in glory as it landed in the net. But um, the curious thing about the two sets of two goals, actually, the four minutes and 16 seconds between Japan's two goals and then four minutes and 30 seconds between Belgium's two to, uh, to level it up. So it was very much a kind of... Straight after uh, Japan scored their second, Belgium had a couple of minutes of looking a bit shell-shocked, as you'd imagine. Um, but I think what's been impressive, what was impressive in this game was the way they you know, pulled themselves together. I mean, you know, we talked earlier about how rare it is for a team to come back from two goals down. Yeah. Um, and, you know, uh, know, the pundits after the game were saying that this might galvanise the team. And well, I was just going to ask that very question, actually, funnily enough. I mean, we saw this a little bit, or we've kind of posited that this might be happening with France, that they've now awoken to their own possibilities. Could this be the spark that sends Belgium on a bit of a run? Yeah, could be. There was probably going to be a lot of criticism of Martinez, but he actually, credit to him, did change the game with those substitutions. Fellaini, obviously, much maligned, but I, I tend to think that in these situations, what, when what you're doing for the majority of the game isn't working what better plan B to have than just a massive bloke who can get on the end of crosses. And when Hazard put in the cross for the equaliser, lovely bit of skill, it was quite notable that Belgium didn't just have one or two, but they had three men lining up at the far post. They had Fellaini, Lukaku and Thomas Munier, who's also a giant. And that just felt like a way that they were going to get some joy. Vertical right. doping, you might call it. And yeah, nice. the end result came from that. It- and then Chudley, obviously, the other substitute, knocking home the third after the end of the break. Breaking Japanese hearts, but bringing cheers in Belgium. So uh, through they go to the quarterfinal with Brazil, who earlier on Monday beat Mexico 2-0 and uh, taking another step towards resolving all the bad and bitter feelings that are left over from the last World Cup. Didn't have it all their own way, particularly in the first half, Jack. Yeah, I thought Mexico made a very good start. They perhaps surprised Brazil a little bit with their tactics in bringing Rafael Marquez in for his first start at 39. That really paid off because Carlos Vela was shunted back out to the wing and he actually had Fagner on toast for the first 25 minutes or so. Brazil, what you can say about them is even when they're not playing well, they're very durable. They they may not have been dominating possession at that point, but they certainly weren't conceding clear chances. Uh, Mexico had a couple of shots charged down for the edge of the box. But Brazil are very good at keeping their opponents at arm's length, which I think is going to be very useful. But certainly at times in that first half, Mexico were causing them problems. And I think there was slight concern. All right. But then it got pretty comfortable in the second half for the Brazilians. 
Yeah, I mean, just to reiterate what Jack said, I mean, Brazil don't seem to mind the opposition having the ball uh, in dangerous areas, but they're very good at closing things out. They've only allowed five shots on target mm. this World Cup, which is fewer than any other team. And it sets up quite a curious sort of quarterfinal where Brazil are the def- sort of defensive kings against Belgium, the attacking <laughs> so it kind of turns things on their head a little bit but yeah you're right the second half Brazil looked pretty comfortable Neymar kind of got more into the game um, and they looked to be honest much better when they brought Firmino on for, right. at the end which in, to no uh, one's very great surprise not sure what's up with Gabriel Jesus is whether it's a system or he's just tired or, or, or what yeah I mean Jack will have a view on this I'm sure but I mean surely Firmino deserves a, a chance to start a game I think that Today might have been the uh, the tipping point on that debate. Well, Brazil have only conceded one goal so far in the tournament. Uno, uh, they scored here through a wonderful, wonderful bit of play. Neymar back healing to William, who then brings it round. Neymar continues his run. It was a it's very, glorious move. Very Neymar to kind of pre-assist his own goal. I thought. <laughs> Um, and also the weird thing was, if you watch the cross come shot from uh, from Willian, the fact it bubbles is the reason the defender doesn't clear it. Which oh. is, so it kind of just loops over his, over his leg and, and Neymar slides in. The remarkable thing about that, though, is that Neymar had had his ankle almost taken off. Disintegrated. Yeah, by Miguel Leon of, of Mexico, who kind of half trod on it. There was a lot to talk about how painful that was. I'm not entirely sure. By accident this evening, I did the same thing to... You certainly, Jack, and then I think producer Ben, and neither of you rolled around on the ground. But then, hey, um, I wasn't wearing studs, in all fairness. Um, very, very hard. That's true. <laughs> Not as hard as the uh, fourth official, JT, pointing out that Leon stood on both his foot and Neymar's ankle. And the fourth official proceeded as own, you know, nothing had happened, whereas Neymar went off on one of his things. Andy Abram asked, which defender out of all footballers past and previous would you like to mark Neymar? I'd love Andy Todd. And then all sorts of people pile in with all sorts of hard players. I think it's quite unpleasant, this really. It's a little bit. It's a bit nasty. I was a bit... I mean, yeah, no one likes to see... Well, actually, people do like to see people (laughs) run. I quite enjoy it. But there was a lot of people saying, we don't want to see this. But, you know, what I really don't like is when they start to compare it with other sports. You know, our rugby players wouldn't do this. But I seem to recall a rugby union player bringing blood capsules into a game. (laughs) And I don't think I've ever seen Neymar or any footballer do that yet. No, but I do remember uh, Alamau, the uh, Brazilian... Do you remember Alamau of Brazil when he was playing for um, Atlanta, nicking his head? pretending to have been hit by a coin and, and, and he had a little razor blade in his hand and he cut his head to try... Oh, is that a wrestling move, says producer Ben? Uh, yeah, to try and get basically the, the win at Tavolino to get the, the uh, like an automatic three points for the team. But the referee rumbled him. I say three points. I think it was two points. I think it was back in the era of two points for a win. Yeah, you wouldn't risk that for three. Two's safe. <laughs> anyway, so, yeah, just saying, you know, in all walks of life. Um, anyway, yeah, among the suggestions, uh, Sunes, Kevin Muscat, Dennis Wise in Millwall era, all that kind of thing. Thanks, Actung Midwall Radio. Uh, anyway, so, well, they're going to take on Belgium, but without Casemiro. Does that matter? Not in theory, because Fernandinho is a very high-quality replacement, but... Perhaps just in terms of continuity, I think Casemiro is slightly more cautious than Fernandinho, but I, I think that'd be fine. Okay. Firmino got the second goal. I don't know if we ever mentioned that. And yeah, I mean, again, what was interesting about that was Neymar had a shot, which keeper did quite well to redirect. Um, Firmino followed up and scored, but then all the um, Brazil players ran to Neymar to sort of you know, <laughs> congratulate him for the assist, even though it wasn't an assist. So today, two teams going through to the quarters, Harriet. Just sum this up for us. Which 
impressed you more between Belgium and, and Brazil? I think Belgium, yeah. um, considering that they went behind and didn't look really for a, for a large chunk of that game like they were going to get back into it and just their persistence to drag themselves over the line is probably one of one of the better performances of the bigger teams in yeah. the tournament so far. Spain didn't have a, um, a plan B. Their plan B was to keep doing what they always do. Um, Belgium have proven that they have a plan B and if you know they're struggling, they can come back at you. And they'll have lots of momentum now as well. Oh, lots which... of momentum, yeah, because that's, that's definitely really, really important. Ah, makes all the difference. Uh, heading off to the airport, meanwhile, our poor old Mexico, their last 16 curse continues, seven World Cups in a row that they've gone out at that stage. Let's have a quick check-in with our friend Nando Villa and see how he's doing. Yep, once again, Mexico fails to make it to the quinto partido in a World Cup. They've done this in every World Cup since 1994. Um, it's a shame because Mexico, you know, had, had so much hope after that first game. Um, but instead, it was the, the same result that it always is. It's the feeling that um, there's, a, there's a phrase that, that they often say in Mexico, which is, jugamos como nunca y perdimos como siempre. Like, we played like never, but we lost like always. Listeners, even your good friends here at the Totally Football Show need to take a break from the football every now and then. And that's why we read The Economist. And you can too, for free, by texting the word football to 78070. The Economist is about far more than just economics and finance. Since 1843, the magazine's been covering a range of subjects from politics and business to science, technology, arts and even sport. For example, there's an article in a recent issue which crunches the numbers to investigate why goalkeepers are undervalued. I've read it, and that's why I can tell you that in the past four transfer windows, strikers bought by some of the biggest clubs in the world have cost 17.1 million euro on average, which works out at around 8.5 million euro a point, whereas goalkeepers have cost 6.5 million euro per head at a slightly higher rate of 9.4 million euro a point. The conclusion? Keepers cost less than forwards, not because they're underappreciated, but because they are less valuable. And it's nuggets like that that helps economist readers prepare for what's going on in the world around them a world in which facts count more than ever. The Economist is the smart guide to the forces changing your world. Get your free print copy now. Just text FOOTBALL to 78070. Ha-ha! Here it is, boys and girls, the big day, Tuesday, the day when Sweden take on Switzerland in St Petersburg and Colombia face England at the Spartak Arena in Moscow. We'll talk about what's going to go on on the field in a second. First of all, though, what's the atmosphere like in Moscow ahead of the game? We caught up with Emma Saunders in quite literally Red Square, which was partying like it was 1917 after Russia's elimination of Spain. Well, as you imagine, the place is still just awash. Um, with football shirts from all over the world. Not too many English fans today, but I don't know if they're sleeping off hangovers because this place last night was absolutely rocking. Uh, I kind of expected it to be a little bit post-apocalyptic today, but let me tell you, when people say this place doesn't sleep, it doesn't. It's still absolutely rammed here today. Uh, and just looking around, I've seen a couple of uh, Chelsea shirts earlier. I saw a Sunderland shirt, actually. Uh, so they're here representing. Um, when I first got here, it was chucking it down. I thought, I've left the rain in Kaliningrad and brought it with me. But fortunately, the England fans that have travelled over from the heatwaves, they've brought it with them. It's glorious here today. Being a night game tomorrow evening, it's meant to drop a little, much more like the English conditions we're used to in the Premier League. 
Yes, yes. Emma Saunders will be doing her stadium announcing thing at a surely rocking Spartak Arena tomorrow night. All right, well, England are going to be taking on Colombia. The first question is, how is James Rodriguez? To get the latest on him and generally the mood in the Colombian side of things, we're dialed up Colombian football expert Vitenis Dezoulis. He's got these special relationships on the pitch and off the pitch with Falcao, who's got like a little brother, big brother relationship, and with uh, Juan Fernando Quintero, who they all, all, you know, it's like the same big brother, little brother relationship, but, you know, this time James is the big brother, and with Cuadrao and with everybody. And so if he's not there, somebody's going to have to do what he did in Brazil in 2014, which is step up in place of Falcao. In this case, somebody would have to step up and take his place and basically, you know, carry the team. Okay, how worried are people about England in Colombia and where do they feel that they can maybe get at them? There's optimism, but we've never beat England. I mean, we've always gotten our butt kicked. Uh, Best we could do was a draw, you know, or a scorpion kick, you know, in Wembley. That's about as much as we've been able to do against England. Uh, I mean, I remember one of the first World Cup games I ever saw was, you know, the game with David Beckham curled one in and, 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 you know, I think that was the last World Cup game for El Pibe Valderrama and, you know, our golden generation of, of footballers before before this one. You know, we're, we're, we're scared of Harry Kane. We're scared of the speed that, you know, Raheem Sterling possesses. Uh, we're scared of, you know, the size and strength of a lot of England's players and, you know, the, the set pieces. Colombians think that if we can hold off for the for the first you know half hour or so you know not make any mental mistakes get into the groove start passing the ball you know we can create opportunities well big question about colombia then hamad rodriguez the big question about england has been can they defend and this can this match could be a big answer to that harriet well i mean they haven't kept a clean sheet so far england so um even against the the teams in in uh, in the group stage uh, and Panama scoring their first ever World Cup goal, but the last team to stop Colombia from scoring a, in a World Cup match was England. Yeah, that was a long time. It was ago. a long time ago. But um, Gareth Southgate seems to be uh, you know using past experience uh, to motivate the team. Uh, so perhaps he can inspire John Stones to have a bit of a better game against Falcao than he's had in the past. Yeah, but that's a really interesting point because, of course, Falcao, while playing for Monaco, gave Stones an absolute roasting in the Abs- Champions League. Absolutely, and um, that won't be anything that either of them will be forgetting yeah. uh, should they meet tomorrow evening. What, um, what about another couple of players who know each other very, very well? Davidson Sanchez and Harry Kane. Ooh, that could be tasty. It could. Um, I think, to back up Harriet, um, Colombia have never had a 0-0 draw at the World Cup. And obviously we've mentioned the England win against Colombia in 98. I think what's interesting parallel there is that Beckham, obviously scored in that game, mm. came into that game with a bit of criticism. Um, people weren't too sure whether he should be in the team or not. I don't think Glenn Hoddle was overly sure either. Um, and he really kind of uh, you know, cemented his place there. Obviously didn't go too well against Argentina later in the tournament. But um, you could sort of see a parallel with Sterling maybe. Um, and I think it'll be 999 days since Sterling scored for England tomorrow. Well, um, you're saying he hasn't scored a goal for England for almost a thousand days literally one less than a thousand yeah so it'd be a nice time i mean no no player likes to go a thousand days without a goal in my experience so i think it'll be a good time for him to do a beckham probably not take a free kick but at least score and find redemption wow 
some terrific attacking players here, whether or not Rodriguez is, is in the mix, Jack. Yeah, that's right. I think I would have seen this as almost a 50-50 shot were Rodriguez fit. I don't think he's going to be. Hasn't trained for the last few days. And not only does that remove the most dangerous player, it also takes away the really nice rapport he has with um, Quintero because the way they play together is nice. It's not just having one left-footed playmaker who can unlock a defence. Having two kind of makes them more than the sum of their parts because mm. the defenders don't know which one to focus on. Quintero will often drop deeper. Hammers will drift wide. Without Hammers, it would probably be Luis Muriel on the wing. I think he's a very two-dimensional player. I don't think he'd be too much trouble for the defence other than uh, pace. And I think an area of weakness for Colombia that England would be looking to exploit is the left-back, uh, Yuan Mojica, who is good going forward, very quick, but he's looked quite suspect to me. Others, for example, Michael Cox, have pointed at the keeper or spinner as being vulnerable, particularly to kind of high balls. Yeah, I don't rate him very highly, oh, yeah. but he will spend seven or eight minutes uh, feigning injury, which could be helpful for them. Could be crucial. For, for all of that, it is true to say that they have yet to concede a single goal with 11 men on the field. So, you know, they obviously know something. And We had Alejandro Farfan on uh, a couple of days ago who was uh, suggesting or was uh, maintaining that their centre-back pairing is, is the finest pair of, of young centre-backs in the world, Yeri Mina and, and Davinson Sanchez. It's a cliche, but it's really hard to call this game. England could win easily, Colombia could win easily, or it could go to extra time and you know, even penalties. So it is very hard to, to pick a, a scenario, really. Mm. It's going to be interesting how important set-pieces are here. We know how reliant England are on them. But Colombia, I think, without James, will also be looking to profit from those situations. Quintero's delivery is excellent. Yeri Mina, they've probably got one of the best players at attacking mm. a high ball in the competition. Yeah, three of their five goals uh, so far have been set-pieces. So, yeah, you're right. I think it's going to come down It'll to that. stop-start uh, American football style. Nice. And someone who has been quiet so far is Quadrado. Do you see him breaking this game open? I think he's was a bit unlucky to be taken off in the first game when Carlos Sanchez got injured. Quadrado was quite an odd choice to be hauled off. He was good against uh, Poland. Poland, yeah, that third goal. I think, was it the third goal? Yeah. And again, that was a Rodriguez pass. Do you remember that was extraordinary curled ball? Yeah, that just around the defence, yeah. Yeah. I mean, they're special when, when they're... When they're on it, they're on it. When they're on it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, whoever gets through this game, whether it is Colombia or England, earns themselves a meaty quarterfinal with either Switzerland or Sweden. Woo-hoo! We'll be talking more about which of the two it might be after this. You're listening to The Totally Football Show with James Richardson. Switzerland are taking on Sweden earlier on Tuesday. Sonia Missio is a Swiss football expert and despite storming the group stages, she told producer Ben when they spoke, just around the halfway point of the Belgian game, that they're going into this match-up with the Swedes with problems at the back and up front. This team is like our class of 2009 that you know, had was building up Switzerland to be the next great world power in soccer. And you kind of see moments of brilliance of it. But it's just, it's the finishing. It's not that we don't try. It's just that we continuously pass backwards. I was saying, um, it was either the first or second group game where I jokingly tweeted something along the lines that possession was 10% Brazil, 10% Switzerland, and then 80% Swiss's defense. 
And so I think us moving the ball forward and having that more, you know, action play and trying to get on that break, which we never do, is what's going to help us. Ooh, some excitement there in the background, Sonia. But what about at the back? You've got a couple of key absentees ahead of this game. And for stupid reasons, too. I mean, to get out on yellow card accumulation when you're the captain is just, it's so infuriating. Like, it's its crazy. You, you know, ducked a bullet when the players weren't fine for their Albanian salutes, for lack of a better word, and now to get out on something that dumb. Um, I don't know. Schleiner's an interesting case because either today or yesterday, I can't remember, he tweeted his first picture of himself in an Arsenal kit, and he's just like, I'm your newest member of the team. So... I don't know. Maybe I'm old school, but to tweet club things during the World Cup when your team is still in, like, makes me wonder where his head's at right now. And I get that he's not playing the next game, but still, I, I, I rather see a captain rally behind his current players and his contemporary players than looking forward to a club that I don't like. Other things in the back, too, is that we need to be stronger. I mean... The Swiss prior had been known for sort of their defensive stance. I mean, this is a team that have have played World Cups where no one has scored upon them in regulation time. And yes, true, we have, you know, switched our goalie since then. But there's just, there's big holes missing there. And Barami, who's one of my favorite players, the last game, he was almost invisible, where he's been so prominent in the first two games. So I'm hoping that this little break has got them to regroup and think of a new strategy and hope for the best on that. Sonia Missio, you can read more of her outspoken opinions at unusualefforts.com. The Swiss, they're unbeaten in 22. She was saying they don't come forward on the break. One time when they did was, has been one of the moments of the World Cup so far. That fantastic Jun Shakiri winner against uh, Serbia. Still puts my hair up on the I think of it every 10 minutes, to be honest. It was uh, you know, one of the few um, comeback wins in this World Cup. Obviously, we saw a good one with Belgium today. It's not something you necessarily associate with Switzerland. They've got a bit of a bad record against Sweden, though. Has he? Um, the last Swiss manager to guide Switzerland to a win over Sweden was Roy Hodgson back in 1994. Wow. So, um, but yeah, it's it'll be pretty close, I think. Switzerland have given up pretty good quality chances relative to their defensive record. Um, and But Sweden have been terrible in front of goal. Roy, who of course is a footballing legend in both countries. Yes. And uh, amongst many others. Very much so. This one in particular. <laughs> oh, Switzerland are going to be without half of their back four. That's not good, Jack. Uh, no, it's not ever, but it's especially not good when one of the men coming in is Johan Giroud, who actually, to give him some due, he's been okay for Switzerland relative to how he has mm. been for club, but he will, I guess, need a bit of catching up. And so the Giroud is not out for this game? Ooh, I don't know. Well, the other man coming in is Michael Lang, and I think we can all expect good things from anyone with called that Lang. Name, yeah. yeah, absolutely. All right. Um, Sweden then. Without Zlatan, of course, this time around, but they don't seem to be minding getting out of a group that contained Germany, Mexico and South Korea and finishing the group stage with that 3-0 win over Mexico. How are they going to approach this game with the Swiss? Let's ask Patrick Sick from Afton Blanet's World Cup podcast, talking to producer Ben. The thing about the Sweden is, I mean, uh, they're really not spectacular. But if you look at the teams that Sweden has knocked out so far, Holland in uh, the qualifiers, Italy in the playoffs, Germany in the group stages. 
And this, with the exception of the first leg against Italy, without really beating any one of them, just being super hard to break down. Really, really hard to beat. That's the thing. And the demand from the manager is also very simple. It's just hold your position. That's the only thing he asks for his players. It is a straightforward 4-4-2 where everyone is assigned a task that they've done a thousand times before. And if done the right way, it's very, very hard to break down. And that is what uh, this Sweden team is all about. There are no stars, really. Instead, you have experience, you have tactical awareness, uh, a whole bucket of snide. If you think uh, Sergio Ramos or Luis Suarez uh, are the kings of shithousery in this tournament, uh, you really should pay attention to Ula Toivonen because he is a master of the dark arts. He is horrible to play with and uh, you can see it in the defender's eyes in the end of every game that, I mean, before the whistle blows, I need to give this guy an elbow in the back of the head or something. And they always do. And it's it's kind of a reflection on uh, what he brings to this team, uh, apart from you know scoring the odd goal, uh, which he has uh, done as well. What's the feeling back in Sweden about this team and their chances as you know the draw opens up for them? I mean, Sweden right now is really in love with this team, and uh, the people who gave Jimmy Durmas uh, abuse are uh, people who will jump at any chance of you know spreading hate, trying to divide people against each other and um, I mean it was it was uh, horrible to see it's not the first time that we've seen it we have uh, these problems in Sweden as uh, you know most countries do but Sweden as a nation really really takes to this team and their response to these messages and the hatred and the racism uh, has really come across so well yeah I mean everyone's behind them 100% that Swedish defence and harder to unpack than a, you know, with the, in the Ikea joke thing. <laughs> um, t- Harry, they really bounce back. It, just as an illustration, a microcosm of how little we ever understand about football. When Tony Cruz scored that winner against Sweden and then all the German kind of assistant managers went over and went ya ya in the Swedish bench's faces unpleasant scenes at the end of that game. We all thought that was it for the Swedes, but they, they've bounced back incredibly. Yeah, absolutely. They've shown some real resilience there to come back and, and show the world that they mean business. Um, and they're doing it as well without without much of the ball. Uh, so against against Germany, they only had 24.5% possession the whole game. Yes, they lost 2-1. But then against Mexico, when they won 3-0, mm. they had 33.5% what? possession. So, you know, they're not... They're not scared. They're confident when they do have the ball and when they don't that they can they can get a result and get the job done. Right. So I mean, we've seen teams do well without possession. Leicester famously winning at the Premier League, but they're not a Leicester. They're, their forwards never score. So how do they do it? No one knows. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, the forwards um, Fosberg and Berg have had twenty-one of their thirty-seven shots, yet neither has scored a goal. Wow. Um, but I mean, the Germany game. There's been a few kind of full storms in this tournament. I mean, the, the Portugal-Spain game, which looked so good at the time, mm. kind of feels a little bit not quite as good now, knowing when you know what happened to them later in the tournament. Um, and similarly with the, the Sweden-Germany game. Right. Although the Swedes are still very much in it. You know that's what I mean. They kind oh. of they looked dejected after that, but it was fine. It yeah. all turned out okay. I really, I really dig this side, the Swedish side. Yeah, what I do you like about they're them, fundamentally Jack? a bit crap, aren't they? All their players, especially the forwards, textbook generic. Like I don't think I could pick Marcus. Functional. I don't think I could pick Marcus Berg out of 
police lineup it was if it was just him in it but they play this just like weird throwback muscle ball and i just, I just think it's rubbish and, and fun and also the key thing there is everyone is kind of this game is essentially oh who are england or colombia gonna get yeah they could be facing england sweden have got a really good record against england mm-hmm. you know they're a semi bogey team sweden's so. exactly the kind of team that we will lose to yeah in oh, hilarious circumstances. Wow. Okay. Berg hat trick. <laughs> of course, we've got to get past Colombia to even be in a position to lose to Sweden. So to hear the odds on Tuesday's games, producer Ben once again steps to the mic to talk to Paddy Power. Thank you, Jimbo. Lee Price from Paddy Power. Thank you for being with me throughout all of these podcasts. Um, it's the last day of the last 16, and it starts with Sweden versus Switzerland. I'm looking forward to this one. Are you? I am. I think two teams that everyone can get behind, two dark horses, if you're being generous, in this tournament. I think Switzerland are slightly stronger. I like them slightly better. They're 13 to 8 to win this match. Sweden 21 to 10 is a very close odds. It's actually 7 to 2 that goes to penalties, which could be interesting. Uh, and the top entry, i.e., the favourite in our first goal score market, is, of course, no goal score at 4 to 1, which might say a lot. All right, the evening game, Lee. It's Colombia versus England. I'm up for it. Are you? We are. This is very, very tight. Uh, England hoping to channel David Beckham from 1998 and the rest of that squad who are very old now. Uh, the odds here are marginal. So England are the favourites at 13 to 10. Colombia at 11 to 5. And the draw is 2 to 1. But I wouldn't write Colombia off. This is England we're talking about. I'm very anxious. Come on, lads. You can find out those odds and more at paddypower.com. It's 18 plus only. BeGambleAware.org and when the fun stops, stop. So, Harriet from 442 Magazine, many thanks to you. Thank you, James. Duncan from Opta Corporation, many thanks to you. <laughs> thanks, James. Jack, where are you from? Do you, do you have <laughs> a... Technically unemployed. Are you unemployed at the moment? No, I'm just... Uh, you freelance. Fly by night, yeah. Yeah, you don't like to be tied down by your rules, daddy-o. Right on. Cool. All right, well, you'll be back with us as the tournament progresses, I imagine, no? Since you've got absolutely nothing else to do. <laughs> well, it's going that way, yeah. Cool. Brilliant. Hey, listen, I hope that you'll be similarly faithful. Uh, at The Totally Show is where to send us questions and things. On Twitter, you can find us on Facebook as well. Oh, and speaking of Facebook, tomorrow being an England game, we're going to have one of our Totally Football quizzes at 6pm in the build-up to the big match. Uh, It's so big that I'm thinking of turning up for it myself to give away prizes that include, but aren't by no means limited to, a 2005-7 Raquel the Argentina home shirt. Woof! A 2002-4 Brazil Ronaldo away shirt. Ronaldo, that's Ronaldo. And a 2016-17 Russia home shirt. Where are we getting all these shirts from? Same place you can, listeners. Classicfootballshirts.co.uk Excellent. All right, so we're back Tuesday evening right after all the football things have happened. Michael Cox, Matt Davis and Julian Laurent is going to be with us, so that'll be fun. Uh, And we're looking forward to seeing all you guys again soon. Thanks for coming in. Listeners, have a great day. Bye for now. You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, a Muddy Knees Media production. Subscribe now and get the latest episode delivered right to your phone for free. Supporting your team at the World Cup can be a phenomenal experience. But then Beckham boots Simeone, Lampard's goal isn't given or someone puts on an England shirt and misses a penalty. The highs, more often than not, come with lows. 
And that's a little bit like life, really. So while we're all supposed to be buzzing with World Cup excitement and lapping up all this football, all that VAR and all those Nigeria kits, remember that someone close to you might be going through one of life's tougher times. Every day on average, 12 men take their own life in the UK. That's your starting 11 and your manager every single day. Scary, huh? But that's part of the problem. Many of us still feel mental health and suicide are taboo topics, and this can stop men from opening up and getting support when they need it most. That's why we're working with Calm, the Campaign Against Living Miserably, a charity dedicated to preventing male suicide. We here at the Totally Football Show believe we should all support each other the way we support our team, through the ups and the downs, the glorious wins and the embarrassing red cards, the good days and the bad. So if you're worried that someone close to you is having a tough time, check in with them and let them know that Calm is there. Every day from 5pm till midnight, Calm provides a free, confidential and anonymous helpline and web chat for any man who needs support. They've also got a website which is packed with the kind of info you need if you or any of your mates are having a rough one. Visit thecalmzone.net to find out more about Calm.